Turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. So, uh, for the last several years, we have done uh, an Advent series, and so we'll do one uh, again this year. There's uh, Each year, there's kind of been an overall title and a kind of a rhyme and reason to the uh, uh, to the series itself, but this year I'm just going to kind of take a buckshot approach. We're going to kind of be all over the place in the Christmas story, uh, looking at some familiar sections of the Christmas story, but uh, also looking at, um, at least, maybe not for you, but at least for me, uh, some parts of the Christmas story that I have never uh, placed uh, much emphasis on. And so, uh, this morning is uh, a character of Christmas I would like for us to look at that, um, based on my own personal research of my own preaching, have come to realize that uh, this is definitely a character in uh, 29 years of preaching that uh, I've realized that I've never preached a sermon on. And so I want to do that this morning. So let's look, beginning in verse 18 of Matthew chapter 1 at what the Scripture says. Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed or engaged to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man, that's going to be important, that's going to be an important word we're going to look at a little later on, a just man, and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her, divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgins shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife. Did you notice that? Kind of a slick change there, right? When we started just a few verses ago, they were engaged. And now they've been married. But he knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. I believe Joseph, Jesus' earthly father, is one of Scripture's most marginalized characters. And as I said earlier, my, my own preaching supports my accusation. I'm, I'm not accusing other people. I, I'm not accusing you of marginalizing Joseph. I, I'm accusing myself of margin, marginalizing Joseph. Because as I said... I went back, looked at sermons and, and, and notes and Bible studies that I've done over the years and come to realize that in 29 years of preaching, I cannot find one Bible study nor one sermon devoted to the life of Joseph. That doesn't mean that I haven't talked about it or I've totally dismissed Joseph. It just means he's never been the focus, the focal point of any sermon or Bible study uh, that I've done. I also did a quick internet search just to see, you know, if I was uh, the only one who was guilty of that. Because sometimes if you're guilty of something, you'd like to find somebody else to be guilty with, right? Kind of makes you feel a little bit better about your guilt when you realize, ah, I'm not the only one to do this. Well, in the internet searches that I did on Advent Sermon Series... I have found that about only about 10% of probably the 30 or 40 different Advent sermon series that I found online, only about 10% of them included a sermon about Joseph. So what I've come to realize is, is that I'm not the only one guilty 
of excluding Joseph from Christmas sermon series. And so what I want to do this morning is, I want us to take a look at the life of Joseph and uh, find uh, some truths there that I think will help us tremendously, not only during this Christmas season, but will be tremendously helpful to us in our day-in and day-out walk with the Lord. You see, Christians have placed a great emphasis on not forgetting Christ during Christmas. It's a little music to set the mood. Christians have placed a great emphasis on not forgetting Christ in Christmas, right? We see that bumper sticker everywhere. You know, keep Christ in Christmas. Don't forget Christ during this season. Uh, but I think to some extent, we've done that at the expense of uh, forsaking other characters within the Christmas story that are very much worthy of our attention. I kind of feel like as I thought about Joseph and I, and I, and I thought about my own personal treatment of him and, other, and the treatment of other pastors towards Joseph, it's almost like we, we've treated him like the father uh, of the bride at the wedding. You know what I mean by that? I don't know if you go to a lot of weddings. I, I have the, uh, the, uh, the blessing of, of, of having been a part of a lot of weddings. I love weddings. I'd do a wedding every weekend if I could. But there's something that's always interesting about the wedding, and that's the father of the bride. He is the most unnoticed character in the whole wedding plot. The bride is the focal point, the groom, the mother of the bride, the mother of the groom. But the father of the bride, he's probably the, the most forgotten and unappreciated guy. Why? Because he has one simple responsibility. Make sure that everything gets paid for. Outside of that, he's a forgotten figure in the whole affair. Joseph is kind of that way. That's kind of the way we've treated him. We've kind of treated him as the father of the bride. I don't think this is anything that we've done intentionally. I, I don't think pastors or Bible uh, uh, teachers have just, you know, that, that we've all gotten together and said, you know what, let's just forget about Joseph. Let's intentionally leave him out. Let's don't preach sermons about his life. I don't think it's anything necessarily unintentional. I, I'll give you two reasons why I think that Joseph often gets left out of sermons in Christmas. Now, again... I'm not saying he's not mentioned. What I'm saying is that there's sermons preached on his life. Number one is, is because do you know that Joseph, there's never one recorded word spoken by Joseph? How about that? Not one word is ever attributed to the mouth of Joseph. Well, that could be a good reason to forget him, right? Because he, he never said anything. We, we tend to remember the people that said something. Number two is, the number two reason why I think maybe we leave him out is because after Luke chapter 3, which is the incident at the temple, do you remember when Mary and Joseph left their boy behind? If you read that account, Mary speaks about having left Jesus. And when, when they find Jesus, Joseph doesn't speak to Jesus. Mary does. And then after that account, guess what? Joseph is never again mentioned in the Bible again. He simply seems to fall off the pages of Scripture. Now Mary continues. We read other accounts of her involvement. Uh, the wedding at Canaan. Uh, the time where uh, Mary and uh, Jesus' uh, brothers and sisters approach him and ask him to quit, quit doing the things he's doing because it's, it's causing a lot of stir. People think that Jesus is kind of uh, this guy that's kind of lost his mind, a, a crazed man. And so uh, we see Mary at the foot of the cross. So Mary continues out throughout the life of Jesus and the plot of the life of Jesus. But when it comes to Joseph, he simply vanishes from the pages of Scripture. So I think those are valid reasons why Joseph seems not to ever be the main character in the uh, in Advent sermons. Though he has been marginalized in the minds of most Christians, I want you to know this morning 
that he is no minor character in the story of Scripture. Scripture calls us this morning to take a fresh look and a new look at this minor character in redemptive history. Let us not allow perceived deficiency of words and works to lead us to some very flawed conclusions about Joseph. Ralph Waldo Emerson said this, What you do speaks so loudly, I can't hear what you say. If that's true, what Joseph did speaks so loudly that it wasn't necessary for him to say anything. You remember what Jesus said in John 14, 15? Not the only place where Jesus said this, but this is the one I'm going to pick out this morning. Jesus said, if you love me, you will do what? You will keep my commandments, or you will do what I've told you to do. You see, Joseph, his life is marked by one simple scriptural principle and truth that's necessary for Christians to call themselves Christians, and that is obedience. His obedience is remarkably simple and immediate in spite of the Lord's absurd command. Now, we may not find what God is asking him to do or telling him to do to be that absurd, right? I mean, marrying a woman who's pregnant with a child that's not your own is not absurd in our day. Now, for those of you watching, those of you listening in here, I'm not, I'm not knocking or saying anything negative about women who have children out of wedlock. But what I am saying is there is massive cultural differences in our day as it relates to women having children outside of pregnancy or even a woman who is engaged to a man who becomes pregnant by someone else who is not the person that she's engaged to. This is absolutely devastating in the time of Mary and Joseph. For Mary, her life is in jeopardy. Because to have such an event happen in one's life, according to Jewish law, could result in immediate death. Not, not death of child, death of mother. Because of her infidelity. And so when the Lord tells him, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, <laughs> this is an absurd ask of the Lord. And yet, Joseph is remarkably simple and simply remarkable. Here's what I want us to learn. Joseph is obedient regardless that, that's, if you don't take away another truth this morning from the life of Joseph, you need to take away the truth that, that Joseph is obedient regardless. He just does what he's asked to do. No, no discussion. No, uh, Lord, might there be another way? He's just obedient. I'd like for us to look at Joseph in real life because he shows us Obedience to the Word of God regardless. Now, nativity sets make us feel nostalgic. They give us the warm fuzzies. I've, I've got, we've got several nativity sets in our home. I love nativity sets. When I was in Naples, Italy on a mission trip years ago, uh, there's a street in Naples that's called Nativity Lane. That's, why, that's how it translates into English. And that street is approximately, I think it's a half a mile long. And you know what's on both sides of the street all the way down? Nothing but people that make nativity sets by hand. And I saw some of the most beautiful nativity sets that, that I've ever seen in all of my life. And so nativity sets have this way of making us feel good and making us feel nostalgic. Yeah. One feeling never enters into our hearts as we look at the nativity set. Matter of fact, we were putting our decorations up uh, the last couple of days and I was setting up our various nativity set. Not one time did I ever think about in setting that up how difficult that moment in Joseph and Mary's life really was. That they were living in the midst of maybe some of the most difficult circumstances 
two human beings have ever lived under. Joseph's reality was very, was deeply difficult. You and I, listen, I, I, I thought about, and I was sitting at the computer typing, and I was trying to put into words for you and I on today, here in 2020, trying to formulate a, a way to express to you and I how difficult these circumstances are, and yet I, I found it just almost frustrating because I, I just don't, I, I'm going to try in a few moments to do that, but I want you to know that even my attempts it seems to me so feeble because it still doesn't get to the heart of the difficulty of the circumstances that they were in. But in preparing this sermon and, and looking at the life of Joseph, I've been reminded that our Lord calls His people to simple obedience in difficult circumstances to bring salvation to others. That the Lord calls His people to simple obedience in difficult circumstances to bring salvation to others. Because listen, had not Joseph been obedient to the Lord and what the Lord was asking him to do, you and I would be in, we would be in a mess this morning. I'm not sure another biblical character outside of Jesus was called to be obedient in the face of greater difficulty. He was betrothed or engaged to a young woman who was suddenly and strangely pregnant. And an angel says that this pregnancy was an act of God. Then this northern Palestinian cabinet maker has to drop all of his tools and then go to Bethlehem for a census. Shortly after that, there's another warning uh, in a dream from the Lord. And he has to flee to Egypt where he has no network, he has no connections, he has no job, and he has no place to stay. If you look at the life of Joseph, the man who says nothing, can, uh, who says nothing, you can summarize it in a single word. He's just obedient. His life teaches us that it's possible to obey God with breathtaking and unquestioning obedience. Now listen, I, listen, when I say unquestioned, unquestioned obedience, this is what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that Joseph has blind faith. What I'm saying is Joseph has faith in God to be faithful to do what he says that he will do. Listen, the Bible never calls any of us to blind faith. What it calls us to have faith in something and that is God. God spoke through the angel, and Joseph married Mary. In that regard, he acted with obedience that outran any of the other major Bible characters in your Bible. In Luke 1.18, let me just show you how, how great this man's obedience was. In Luke 1.18... When the announcement came to Zacharias, the aged father of John the Baptist, Zacharias said to the angel, look at what Luke 1.18 says. And Zacharias said to the angel, watch, how shall I know this? Ah, question. For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. <laughs> what did his question get him? <laughs> Silence for nine months. Zacharias met the command of God with a denial. And Mary, look at Luke one thirty four. and Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? Interestingly, Joseph did not respond with a recorded denial or doubt, but rather with obedience. Matthew, back to Matthew chapter 1, look at 24 and 25 again. When Joseph woke from sleep, watch, he did as the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not till she had given birth, and he called his name Jesus. In fact, Joseph has an obedience that just is unlike anything we really see in the Bible. Outside of maybe the centurion, you, you, you remember the, the, uh, the, the man whose daughter needed healing? 
And uh, he, just, he just said, Jesus, you just speak the word. There, there's very few people that really stand out in the Bible who have this unquestioned obedience, who just simply get a command from the Lord and do what he says. Even Moses, and we, we hold Moses in highest regard, called upon as an 80-year-old a shepherd to, to lead an exodus. What do you hear from him, right? You remember, there's a bush that's burning, but it's not consumed. And yet he has four different excuses until he finally submits to God's will. Then there's Jeremiah, who's the prophet, and, and, and God calls him, but yet he gives God the excuse, I'm too young and, and I can't speak. And then there's Amos, the prophet, the keeper of sycamore fruit and sheep. And he says, I don't have the credentials to be a prophet. When God spoke to him an astonishing, an astonishing, difficult word, Joseph simply obeyed. John 1 reminds us that one of the proofs of our salvation is obedience. 1 John 2, 3 says, And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. So Joseph's life is marked by obedience. God is not interested in our guilt-ridden excuses. He just wants us to obey. As the Bible says, obedience is better than sacrifice. Which leads me to point number two this morning. He, Joseph models for us obedience in painful circumstances. This wordless uh, woodworker models obedience in painful circumstances. He's engaged to Mary. Okay? You remember what all that brings? In that Jewish culture, when a girl was only 12 or 13 years old, her parents signed a consent that she would be betrothed or engaged, and that was a legally ratified, binding marriage covenant, even though she lived with her parents for another year. Imagine 12 or 13 years old being set aside to be married at either 13 or 14. It's mind-blowing, right? We call that child abuse, child neglect, child endangerment. We get DHR out on you. And, and, and listen, I'm not saying that we should institute that today. It's not what I'm saying, but I'm just saying different time, different place, different culture. It's just, it's amazing. The second phase of that ceremony was the trans, uh, transferal in which the husband would go get her and take her to his house to be his own. In Joseph's experience, okay, he is in between step one and step two. And Mary is with child. He couldn't deny it, right? You can't cover that up. I'm sure like most of us, in the face of unpleasant circumstances, at first he, he wanted to deny it, not even see it, but there came a day when it was obvious. Joseph's reaction to Mary's pregnancy should not be viewed as an expression of anger. Notice the phrase about Joseph. It says... Remember I told you to, to, to note this, that he was what? A just man. Now that, that word has two meanings. Joseph was obeying the Jewish law, okay? Because the Jewish law said that he could put her away, he could divorce her. His actions were in line with cultural mandates. The word there for just means he was a righteous man, and that meant under the law he had no choice but to put her aside. Because according to the, uh, the law of Moses, she was classified legally as a prostitute for what she had done. And as a righteous man living in, uh, as a righteous man living in the law, he had no choice but to put her aside. But this word just also has a second meaning. It means to be prudent, to be discreet, to act with chivalry, or to put it in English words, simply to be big-hearted. You see, he intended to put her away with chivalry, with discreet justice, when suddenly he had a life-altering dream from God. Matthew one twenty. what does it say? But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for what is in her has been conceived of the Holy Spirit. In the last 30 years of preaching, I've heard a lot of Christians say, you know, if the Lord would just show me what He wants me to do in this situation of life, 
This would be so much easier. <laughs> it's a pretty good case for just, <laughs> if the Lord were to show you, exa- this is exactly what I want you to do, does it make what He wants you to do any easier? As a matter of fact, it might make it a whole lot more difficult. Joseph's story has proved that such a request does not make life easier. In some ways, it can make it more difficult. Yet Joseph awoke from his dream, and what happened? He did exactly what the Lord told him to do. And some of us would say this, right? Well, if an angel come and spoke to me, I would do exactly what the Lord told me to do. Well, the last time I checked, you've got a book in your hand or on your phone this morning that more than an angel spoke, the Bible says that God himself spoke it, wrote it down, and told you exactly what to do. The Bible is far greater than any dream that you can have, and if we can't obey the simple written word of God, trust me, you and I wouldn't obey if an angel came to us and told us exactly what to do. Joseph shows us that we can obey God in the midst of painful and difficult circumstances. And listen, that's when, fa- that's when you really know the genuineness of your faith is when your faith is tested. But he also models obedience in the face of fear, right? He is scared to death to take this woman as his wife. And what does the, what what the angel say? Joseph, don't be afraid to take her as your wife. And so when, when, the, when the word of God is spoken to him, what does he do? He just gets up and all fear is set aside. Why? Because he's got a word from God. Do you know what will put fear to flight? Simple faith in the word, in God's word. If he tells you something, look, for most of us, fear comes when we feel like we're all alone. We feel like we're abandoned. We feel like, we feel like we're on an island, right? We're out on, the, on, on, the, on the, the very end of the limb all by ourselves. And what does the scripture say to us over and over and over again? I am with you. I will never leave you. I, for, I will never forsake you. Many of us live in a constant state of perpetual worry. And what does the Bible say? 365 times recorded in Scripture. Not 364, 365 times it says, Do not worry. I take care of birds. I take care of grass. I take care of lilies. I take care of all of these things that are here today and gone tomorrow. How, how, will, I not much more, will I not take care of you? Joseph shows us that we can obey God in spite of fear. When the word came, Joseph obeyed. God had come close, very close, and it had created a situation. You see that again and again throughout the Bible. When God comes close, Fearful situations often happen. The fifth chapter of Luke, uh, there's a great uh, catch of fish, and Peter and the other disciples fall down, and they begin to worship Jesus out of fear. Even Peter says, uh, when, he, uh, when he was overcome with fear, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. When God draws close and invades our world with supernatural power, it can create a sense of fear, but it also can give us exactly what we need to obey God in spite of fearful circumstances. Joseph would much rather have gone back to his carpenter shop and played with his tools than to be the stepfather of the Son of God. It would have been easier for Peter to go back to the enterprise of fishing than to become the great fisher of men. The truth is, in the face of God's commands, it's easier for us to go back to our comfortable, safe, cozy, predictable round of activities than it is to obey God in a radical way. But when you read the Scriptures, and you read what God's calling you to do, and there's fear there. You know, I think, you know what I think one of the... Commands that may cause people the greatest fear in their life to obey. 
Some people say, oh, it's, it's the command that we should be witnesses, that we should share our faith with other people. That's what freaks out most Christians. Maybe. But you know the one that I think I've seen over the years people struggle the most with, people to be most fearful of? Is when it comes to our money. When it comes to trusting God with living on less than 100%. When most of us struggle to live on 100% to, to begin with, we really need about 125% to live on. But yet the Scripture reminds us over and over and over again that God will supply our needs. He will take care of our needs. And listen, obedience to God, the commands of God, will bring some fearful situations into our life. But we must look to the God who is commanding us to do what it is that we are being commanded to do and realize that He has provided us everything that we need to obey that command. Listen, you and I can stake everything that we have in our life on the Word of God. We can stake it all. We can, we can push all of our chips into the middle of the table. We can go all in with God and with what He says. And we can trust that whatever it is that He is, he is calling us to do, He will provide what we need to do it. Joseph also reminds us that obedience always has consequences. It always has consequences. Notice obedience has consequences. Kids, you probably hear your parents say the whole time you're growing up, decisions have consequences, and they do. And usually what we're talking about is negative decisions have consequences. But listen, obedience has consequences as well. So here's what I want to do. I think maybe we could understand the story better if we contemporized it. If we kind of took it out of the olive wood nativity sets and off the front of the Christmas cards and put it in our own contemporary language. So here's my attempt to do that. All right? Here, here's my contemporization of the story. Suppose there was a young man today engaged to a young woman and, simply, and, and suddenly found she was pregnant. And he had a dream, and God surprised him by saying, stay with her. After he, staggered by, uh, after he was staggered by that kind of confusion, he had to face his parents and explain to them that he was going to go ahead and marry this girl. And he had to explain to his parents exactly what was going on. He had to face the gossip that would come from, from uh, those circumstances. As he began to settle his own heart uh, down, some government bureaucrat said everyone in the United States had to go back to their hometown to be registered for a special tax. So he got in his old car, and he drove across the country, and when he got to his hometown, all the motel rooms were full, all the hotel rooms were full, and the only place he could find to stay was in a garage. He took this woman, who he was engaged and pregnant, or excuse me, and married and pregnant. And in the garage, a baby was born, and they set the baby down on a workbench. When the young man wonders, what else could happen? You ever been in that situation <laughs> when you thought, surely it cannot. <laughs> this is the end. It can't get any worse. A group of street people. Come and start banging on the garage door and say, let us in. And these street people fall down on their knees and say, glory to God in the highest. We've come to worship this baby. As the young man's eyes grow wider, not long after that, three stretch limousines pull up and ambassadors to the United Nations get out and bring cougarons and lay them at the baby's feet. Then the governor of the state calls up the National Guard to kill all the babies in that town. And he has another dream, and God tells him, you better get out of there and go to South America in a hurry. Can you imagine? 
This was the place that Joseph was in. And listen, there wasn't any I-20 to travel. There were no McDonald's to eat, no hotels to stay, no restaurants to go to. He didn't have a job. He didn't have a network of people that he could reach out to. He found himself there in obedience to God and accepted the consequences. How many times in your life have you said, you know what, I'm going to start obeying God in this area of my life, and then it seems like everything that could go wrong goes wrong. Hmm? You ever been in that situation? <laughs> I mean, think about it. Joseph says, okay, I'm going to marry this girl. I'm going to go through and do what the Lord says. And then it's one event down. I mean, it just gets worse and worse by the moment. I mean, you know, hopefully this week we're going to have baby Rosie here. Let's hope. Right? I know if Alana's watching at home, have that baby girl. Let's go. What you waiting on? Um, but you, you have the baby in the hospital, and then all you can think about what? We just want to go home, right? Because you want to get out of the hospital and get back. Because there's nothing like sleeping in your bed and being in your house, right? Or you mamas that have had babies, right? That's all you want. You just want to get home. And some of you in here have had to spend weeks and months at hospitals with your baby, right? And all you can think about is, I just want to get this baby home. Just imagine, you, you, you had to travel on a donkey this long distance, one while you're pregnant for this census, and then you have your baby there, and you think, now we got this long trip home, and the Lord says, oh no, you can't go back home yet. you got to go further south. you got to get further away from home. Why? Because they want to kill your baby. Sometimes when we're obedient to God, it may get a lot worse before it gets better. But we don't obey because we're looking for instant gratitude, or we're looking for instant, the instant results that we're looking for, we need to have within our theology, within our belief of God, that sometimes my obedience is not automatically going to bring what appears to be positive consequences. Those positive consequences of my decisions may not be seen till later on down the road. Joseph models to us that when, we, that when you obey God, there is always, ultimately, the highest joy in that obedience. Joseph reminds us that obedience often brings difficult circumstances, but it also brings our highest joy. So one final obvious truth, which I was oblivious to, and it's this. Joseph models for us the influence of obedience. Here's what I mean by that. Joseph models for us the influence of obedience. So parents, let's, let's all clue in right here. Okay? Let's all clue in, parents. Listen, I'm, that's who I'm talking to. Joseph models for us the influence of obedience. Joseph was the father figure in the home of Jesus. Maybe all of those old cliches about father's and sons are true. You know the cliche, the twig does grow in the direction that it's bent. The apple, what? Doesn't fall far from the tree. And when Jesus started preaching, what did he call God? He didn't call him emperor. He didn't call him sister. He didn't call him brother. He didn't call him camel driver. He called him what? Abba, which means father. In all of Jewish literature, do you know nobody else calls God Father except Jesus? If you get out the writings of the rabbis, you don't find it. Only Jesus called God Father, Abba, Papa. Why? Years ago, I woke up one Sunday morning and the Lord just stirred in my heart that I needed to totally change my sermon. Well, that's happened a time or two in my life, but 
Doesn't happen, doesn't, doesn't happen quite that often. But here's the kicker. The sermon that I really felt like the Lord wanted me to preach was not a sermon I was very comfortable in preaching. He wanted me to preach a sermon on the fatherhood of God. I'm like, what? I mean, that sounds so boring. That sounds like something you would talk about in seminary class, not, not in Sunday morning church. I mean, I need something with some more pizzazz, with some zing to it, you know, something that'll make people feel good. And, and I just thought, Lord, no, I, don't, I really don't want to preach that sermon. But I was obedient, and I preached it. And the whole time I stood in this pulpit and preached it, it was, to me it was like eating shredded wheat. It was dry. It was boring. It was, I couldn't wait for it to be over. So I finish. I go to the back door, shake hands with people. Two weeks later, I get a phone call from a church member of ours in tears saying, I want to thank you for the sermon on the fatherhood of God. I said, well, okay. And she said, here's the reason why I want to thank you for that. She goes, my son was here that Sunday from California. And she said, and, and he called me today saying that he had gotten up this past Sunday and took his family to church, and it was the first time that he had been to church, taken his family to church since he had been married. And I said, wow. I said, well, how did the fatherhood of God play into that? And she said simply this, that because of a, a broken marriage, a divorce between her and uh, uh, her son's father, and never having really a, a, a strong male role model until later in his life, is that he had issues with God as father. And that he didn't want to have anything to do with God because of that. And you know, it woke me up to this reality that sometimes we need to realize as fathers that we can either really help our children embrace who God is, or sometimes by the way we act, we can drive our children away from who God is, especially when they realize that God calls himself the Father. Martin Luther, the great reformer, had the whole time of his Christian existence struggled with the issue of calling God Father. And the reason was is because of the Father that he grew up with. But it wasn't so with Jesus, the son of Joseph. I think that it is because of the remarkable, simple obedience he saw in the life of his earthly father that he was able to take that life and lift it up and see it uh, uh, and to, as, as Joseph, as Jesus is watching Joseph. And I think, Mark, it, go ahead and go to the picture. I think it's the next slide. Yeah, I knew you weren't going to be able to see this very well. I think this picture kind of sums up the influence of obedience that Joseph had on the life of Jesus. This painting is by a guy named George D. Latour. Uh, it's called the uh, uh, Joseph the Carpenter. So if you want to Google it online and take a better look at the picture, because this doesn't really do it justice, because you can't even really see the bottom part, which is really the, <laughs> which is really where the force of the painting is. But George D. Latour uh, painted this picture, and if you look at it, there's Joseph. Uh, what you can't see is that there is wood laying on the floor. Uh, an upright beam, and then a, a vertical beam, and then a cross beam. And Joseph is using uh, this tool that's in his hand to connect those two beams together. There is young Jesus. Um, I think what's fascinating about this picture is if you look at Jesus' hand, it looks like the light is actually shining through his hand. That's a unbelievable. Uh, this was painted in the 1700s. That's how old this painting is. This is not something new, how they could paint that in those days. But basically, at, every time I've ever looked at this picture, it, it, it's caused me to think about 
what we don't know about Jesus. And that is, we don't know how long he got to spend, how long he spent with his father. We, we don't know. We know at least till three years of age, Joseph was still alive. It's, it's often thought in biblical writings that maybe uh, Joseph died somewhere between uh, Jesus' 10th and 13th birthday. Don't ever hold me to that. I'm just telling you what, what uh, scholars out there uh, think when it comes to how long he lived. But what's amazing to me about that picture is, is if it is true that, that, that Joseph lived, and, and, and there's just something inside of me that really believes that he probably did live at least 10 to 13 years into the life of Jesus, and, and Jesus got to learn his father's business, and Jesus spent time with him inside of the carpenter's shop, and he learned the skills of this trade. That Jesus also learned something valuable and important that we see lived out in his life. What you can't see in that picture, as I said, there's a beam that's running vertical and a beam that's running horizontal. It's a cross. And Joseph is making a cross. Now, we don't know if Joseph ever made a cross. This is just a painter's painting. And maybe he never did. I don't know. I can't say that. But you know what I can say about Joseph? Is that Joseph took up his cross of obedience every day. And he followed the Father. So that he, an earthly father, could show his divine son. You remember what the scripture says about Jesus? He was obedient even to the point of death on a cross. You see, jo Joseph was obedient in difficult circumstances. He was obedient in situations that obedience brought into his life some consequences that initially made his life even more difficult. But ultimately, Joseph's obedience brings in, into his life the ultimate joy. Why? Because his obedience brings into his life Jesus. His obedience brings ultimate joy. Why? Because Jesus, his son, has come into the world to do what? To save his people from their sin. You see, Joseph's obedience never saved him. It was the sacrifice of his son that would save him. But Joseph's obedience was in response to the promise of God. You and I, we cannot save ourselves by our obedience this morning. We cannot do enough of this book to save ourselves. But listen, Jesus has been obedient in our place. And if we'll put our trust in him, he will save us from our disobedience. And then guess what? Then he will teach us and give us his spirit who will teach us and lead us in the way of obedience. The Spirit will dwell in us to help us to do what Joseph did and what we're called to do, and that is to pick up our cross daily and follow Christ. That's simply that picking up our cross daily is simply you and I daily choosing to, to follow Christ. That is taking up our cross and following Him. And if we will do that, listen to me, we will experience the deepest joy in life even in the midst of some of the deepest difficulties of our life. And even more so, our obedience to His will will bring about a deep and lasting influence on others. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You that You've given us Joseph.
as a reminder that obedience is not something that we do when life is easy, but true obedience and real obedience and, and, and the testing of, our, of the genuineness of our faith has shown up when we are asked to do that which just seems absurd. When that which we're being asked to do seems difficult, when that which we're being asked to do uh, is going to bring some consequences into our life that, that, that may make our life more difficult initially. But Father, your, your Word shows us that though all that might be true, what's even more true is that our obedience will bring something into our lives that is unlike anything that we could ever experience. And that is a joy that's unspeakable and full of glory. That is a life that may not be easier, but it sure is better than any life we could have crafted on our own. And most of all, Father, your, your Word shows us that our obedience has an influence just as Joseph's life influenced the life of Jesus, so too will our life influence the lives of others. And so this morning, may Father, help us to evaluate our own lives. And think about the people that you put in our life that we know that we have an influence on. And help us to consider what our influence may be at this moment. And Father, help us to consider what our influence could be in the future. If we would just simply either start living a life of simple obedience or continue to live a life of simple obedience. Because our obedience has consequences. So Father, help us to live and, and, and follow not just the model of Joseph, but the model that Jesus, but the model of Jesus himself, who saw in his life the obedience of his own earthly father. Help us in that, I pray, in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and let's sing.